0: Welcome to Broad Appeal, the podcast that looks back at female-driven films from the not-so-distant
1: past. I'm Sean. And I'm Brian. How you doing, Brian? Oh, you know me, Sean, ready for a new year. What about you? Super as always. Super
0: in the 16. That's what we are. (laughs) And how did you enjoy listening to Melissa's sweet Australian twang?
1: Oh, it was wonderful. I felt I was in the presence of Kate Blanchett, Jeffrey Rush, (laughs) Mel Gibson. I hope
0: that you know what? Her and Mel Gibson
1: basically the same person. <laughs> they are. I mean, I've never seen them in the same room, so... For those who don't know what we're talking about, our last episode has a wonderful guest, but now you just get the two of us as usual. Yeah. You and me, Sean, we're kind of an unlikely duo. Yes, I, I agree with you. One of us, a Yale-educated intellectual, the other a sparky little, you know, short spark plug... Not unlike the two actresses who star in the film we're going to be watching. Did you oh. like Did you like what I did there? No, do you know what?
0: I'm glad I stuck with it because that's a perfect analogy. Is it? One of us is cold and
1: waspy. The other one has a slow southern drawl. One of us has strange life forms that like to burst out of their chest at times. The other one of us is a complete mute but great <laughs> on a piano. And between the
0: sheets. Listeners at home... They've stopped the podcast. If you're still there, there, I want you to know that today's film is the 1995 thriller Copycat, starring Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver. Although, I think it's Sigourney Weaver who got top billing for this film.
1: Yeah, so just to be clear, I'm Sigourney and Sean is Holly. Is that right? Yeah. So, Brian, I think
0: you're going to enjoy this film, but I want you to tell me what you think you know about this.
1: I know that this film is a psychological thriller. I know that it involves a serial killer. I think it contains, in addition to the two actresses we've already mentioned, Sigourney and Holly, a performance from singer Harry Connick Jr., who, as far as I know, has done very few acting roles.
0: True. Do you want to maybe assign careers to these two women?
1: Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver. I yeah. mean, like the roles they play in the movies. Going with their personas as I see them, I'm imagining that Sigourney is some kind of very aloof intellectual type who is quite patrician and quite superior, whereas Holly Hunter is some kind of young upstart who people who people don't take very seriously, and she, she's scrappy and trying to, you know... Convince the people above her in the pecking order that, that she knows what she's doing. So, am I
0: right? Brian, you're, you're, you're really close to <laughs> But your description makes me think that this is perfect casting of two people who should definitely be together.
1: It is, but I had to say to you, Sean, I cannot, li- not only can I not imagine. Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver acting in a movie together. I can't imagine them even having a conversation together at dinner. Or at the craft services table. At the craft services table or at any table. Why? I I don't know. They just strike me as two different kinds of people. I think it seems like it really fits into what we're trying to do here which is to look at female-driven films and as we have said in private to ourselves many times movies with dual female leads have never been particularly common they're particularly uncommon these days particularly not in this genre this kind of crime thriller genre which you know you certainly do have crime thrillers with female detectives obviously silence of the lambs comes to mind where your detective is almost on the hunt for the killer as a way of avenging the women who have been killed. Because it always seems to be women in these sorts of serial killer things. They're always the kind of victims. But I am intrigued as to how it's going to be a pair of women, and a pair of such divergent women and divergent actresses.
0: Hmm. Fair point. So, you've seen this movie before? Yeah, I saw this movie twice before. Late at night on some Irish... TV channel Mm -hmm. as somebody who's actually never really had an affinity with the thriller genre. Like, have you ever seen me kind of get excited about a thriller before?
1: Basic instinct.
0: Yeah. Gone girl. No, but like in my list of favorite films, like uh, do I rank thrillers highly up there? No, except for basic instinct, except for basic instinct. But if anyone goes back and listens to that episode, you'll know that my opinion has slid down, plummeted, plummeted sharply down those steep uh, San Francisco hills. Um, I think this film is also set in San Francisco, we'd be happy to know. Mm. I haven't seen this film in quite a while, so I'm I'm recounting from memory. But let me just give you a brief rundown of the plot. Okay. You were incredibly accurate,
1: might I add. Uh Uh-huh. Okay? Well, Uh so far, I haven't given you a plot. I've given you two character descriptions for an unlikely buddy pairing. Okay, so what's the film called? Copycat. Okay, so what does that mean in terms of killing? It means that someone's out there copying crimes, Good. possibly involving cats. No, 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 no cats. No, there might no be. cats were harmed. Somebody might the have a this film. Somebody
0: might have a pet cat, but like I said, can't remember. So Sigourney Weaver plays a brilliant psychologist who, for one reason or another, uh, suffers from uh, trauma.
1: Is she uh, being haunted by
0: Zul? So... She's left New York. She's gone across... She's gone across the... Across the continent. She changed her name from Dana to whatever she's called in this film.
1: Uh, but she's had past trauma of she's what a, kind? She's had a
0: trauma. Well, let's just say her line of work came back to bite her in the ass. Or
1: rather, wring her neck slightly. What? Yeah. She's a criminal psychologist. Yeah. Who's had her neck wrung. She was killed. No, she wasn't killed. I'm confused. (laughs) Can we start this again? Nope. (laughs) But I... Her neck... She's been attempted to be killed.
0: Yes! I thought we were in the Sixth Sense territory. No, this film is set in reality. So she plays a living woman who, for one reason or another, now suffers from agoraphobia.
1: Ah, which I know from my study of Ancient Greek means fearing open spaces and crowds. Exactly. So what Mm. would happen to her if she was in an open space and crowd? She would have a panic attack. Yeah, very good. Okay, great. So she
0: stays inside. Yeah. So she might be living happily ever after in her little glacial, palatial mansion. Mm. But for one reason or another, uh, Holly Hunter needs to talk to her. So why does Holly Hunter need to talk to her?
1: Oh, I bet it's something like someone out there is doing some crimes... That for some reason, only the information Sigourney Weaver has will help them solve it. Oh, good. And that is the plot of the film. Can I say, it's interesting. Do you know how I'm guessing this stuff? Because it's formulaic. It's very formulaic. I mean, obviously, we mentioned Silence of the Lambs, where Jodie needs the former serial killer to do this. I'm also. Am I right that 1995 was also the year of David Fincher's Seven? Yeah,
0: it was, and it's funny because this film does look a lot older than Seven does, uh, not just because of the way it's shot, but also because, uh, unfortunately, this film had to involve the internet as a as a plot device. Computers and the internet play quite a part in this film. Wait,
1: yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. And, but this, do they like use like Prodigy and AOL? And uh, I. Don't know what quality Dude, is. this is 1995.
0: What, for our listeners, I'm just going to spoil I it for you. I was still in
1: high school. The only person I know who used the internet in 1995 was listener Scott Hoffer. Oh,
0: big shout out to listener Scott Hoffer <laughs> up in Dumbo. <laughs> but Scott and other people listening, as you know... Movies of this time were incredibly frustrating. Films like The Net, for example, okay, the Sandra yeah. Bullock film, yeah. every film involving the internet makes it move at broadband speed with graphics and videos and audio. The internet was not like this in 1995. And this film, this is where the film is not based in reality. I mean, I think Seven is much more of a timeless film because it has quite a noirish quality to it. Copycat, on the other hand, the, the fashions, the style, the colour, I think it'll be very much a mid-90s thriller. So it's
1: dated. I really felt, as a teenager watching this, that I was watching a clever film. Yeah, but the thing about crime films that are as often interesting, maybe the best crime films, the solving of the crime drives forward the plot. But there's something else that's at the heart of the film, some sort of thematic concern that has to do with our detective or our detectives And their sort of journey. Is it a journey towards cynicism? Is it a... Like, we talked about Silence of the Lambs. The gender politics of Silence of the Lambs are so interesting. Seven is obviously about sin and redemption. Or Zodiac, David Fincher, which is about the fundamental inscrutability, the unsolvability of the crime. I'm hoping that this this crime drama will have something to tell me beyond just being a crime drama. I think... A
0: testament to this film's staying power, or power in general, is that Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver are two actresses who you and I both admire.
1: I wouldn't say they're our favourite actresses. Put them together, though, I'm intrigued. It's interesting trying to think about the careers of Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter. They both have had some big movies, big hits. They've done Oscar kind of movies, they've done genre kind of movies, they've worked with certain auteurs, we were saying, you know... Mm -hmm. Sigourney's obviously have a relationship with like Ridley Scott, with James Cameron. Uh, and Hol- now,
0: now Neil Blomkamp as well.
1: Yeah. So very much in a kind of sci fi action vein. She's obviously done a lot of like really broad comedies, Ghostbusters, and that sort of thing. Holly Hunter has worked with Coen Brothers. She's worked with James L. Brooks. So Jane they- Campion, of course. Yeah, Jane Campion. Uh, not just in Jane the. Jane Campion! Jane Campion! Michael Nyman's amazing score to open up the heart of Ada McGrath. And yet their careers are really spotty and kind of hard to get a handle on. I
0: mean, Sigourney Weaver, I think, has done, in recent years, plenty of really interesting things. It's just that they are much smaller roles.
1: Uh, Maybe sometime around this time, when this movie came out in 95, they were bigger and more culturally dominant than they are now. Holly Hunter had obviously... Had a string of big roles. She'd won for the piano. Sigourney had been bigger, probably in the eighties, but she still had the. She was riding on the Alien franchise. Yeah, she
0: was between. At this point, she was between two Alien films: Alien Three, which she co-produced, and Alien Resurrection, which would come out two years later.
1: Would you say that casting these two was like a strong commercial move from the studio? Like, was it? It definitely makes the film a lot more credible because we were putting these... and involving. We're putting these two very good actresses in what might otherwise just be a run-of-the-mill procedural.
0: Yeah. I just had a thought, though. They've both been leading women in several films, but they're both kind of, like, character actresses as well. Like, do you think they're both a rare example of the leading character actress?
1: The reason why they don't tend to get your standard leads is actually for the opposite reason. Sigourney's kind of too tall and overpowering to be your conventional female lead and Holly is kind of too short and spunky to be your conventional female lead, which is why I think the pairing of them it just feels like a Schwarzenegger-Devito no, kind of No, I'm sorry,
0: I, I disagree completely. Why? The pairing of them is giving you two actresses of a very high calibre to make any film they're in better. No,
1: I know, I'm not saying I dislike them, but I'm just saying, I'm, I'm agreeing with your point. But that... I
0: think the Schwarzenegger-De Niro comparison is ludicrous, whereas these two... It makes perfect
1: sense. Sometimes I reach for the joke, Sean. And...
0: I'd rather have a serious, cinematic, crit- critical conversation with you, Brian. Ne- never mind your zingers.
1: Sigourney Weaver is tall. Holly Hunter is short. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is cold. <laughs> Holly Hunter is warm. And what
0: happens when you get hot air and cold air together? Wind. I was going to say thunder. Maybe. Thunder. Let's, let's go with thunder. Okay. Wind. <laughs> it's a very windy
1: film. It does a monologues. So I just want to know, though. Give me some buzzwords. I know it's about serial killers. I know it has two female detectives. What is it about in its essence? Do you want adjectives? Themes.
0: Themes, eh? How about mystery? Okay. What about
1: secrecy? Okay. What about dualism? Oh, now you're on to something. I do like dualism.
0: Does the agor- what about a
1: <laughs> What
0: about pariah? No. Eh? What about Mia Wasikowska?
1: Hey. Eh? <laughs> what about agoraphobia? Is this an exploration of the danger? Of society? Of crowds? Of the individual versus society? I
0: think this is a film about patriarchy and misogyny. I think this is a film about female power.
1: Yeah? And sisterhood. Sisterhood? Yeah. Sigourney and Holly, I'm ready to give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and so am I. It's been quite a long time since I've seen this. Okay. Should we watch the movie?
0: Yes. Now, listeners, get ready. Get your hot pants on. It's the summer of 1995 in San Francisco. We'll see you after the jump.
1: If you don't mind, I have a very busy day. Well, Anne, It's a hell of an apartment you got here. hell of an apartment. I guess the books you wrote about these scumbags must have paid pretty well. Now, we can't afford to pay you your usual fee, but you would be so kind as to look...
0: I don't want these here. Would you be more comfortable looking at them downtown? I don't want to see these here. I'll drive you if you prefer. Andy.
1: Andy! 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 Andy!
0: Okay wait, wait, I'm here. Wait. Wait. I have a lot to say about this, but before we get to that, I want to ask Brian, what did you like about the film? What didn't you like and maybe just tell the listeners, you know, the plot of the film. Okay,
1: let's start with what I like because I think that'll be quick. Sigourney Weaver's apartment. Beautiful apartment on San Francisco Bay with these, like, automated Venetian blinds. Mezzanines. High-powered security. Campy gay assistant named Andy. Uh, several uh, computers attached to the internet for playing chess. A lot of screensavers you <laughs> all know and love. I mean, if you are an agoraphobic who has to be trapped in one apartment... Make it that apartment. I loved it. Okay, what else? What else did I like? Uh, Holly Hunter had a very intriguing ponytail. Very rare that you see a police inspector, MJ Monahan with such a long ponytail. I'm surprised that the police force of San Francisco allowed it.
0: Well, they were so fussy about poor Deborah Mulroney's tie at one point.
1: Well, Sean, you've hit upon number three. Probably the thing that I liked most in the whole movie... Dermot Mulroney. Everything about Dermot Mulroney. He was cute. He was sensitive. He had good taste in food. When when uh, Holly Hunter wanted him to get her a cheeseburger, he wanted to get Japanese and he got sushi instead. No, he got her the cheeseburger. He though. did, he got both. <laughs> because that is how good of a partner he was. And I
0: think he seemed quite good at his job as well.
1: Yeah, so to, for those who don't know, he is the beautiful, sensitive, hunky assistant police inspector who was the partner of Holly Hunter investigating these serial killers. It just reminded me that I always liked Dermot Mulrooney and I wondered what happened to him. Was he a 90s heartthrob? He was. He was the um the groom
0: in my best friend's wedding. Now that's a film I really hated when I my my sister rented that. <laughs> and it was one of the few films as a kid that we we rented from Kiernan's that I just did not sit through. But
1: you can you can agree with me, can't you, that Dermot Mulroney was a dreamboat in this? In this
0: film, yeah, he's very cute, because he's, he's quite boyish in comparison to the
1: two women. And he actually disarms Sigourney Weaver's character much more easily than police inspector Holly Hunter does. Well, with those lips, mm. I mean... as uh, As gay assistant Andy says at one point, he says... He says, You thought he was cute too, to Sigourney. And she says, I miss men. And then Andy goes, What am I, chopped liver? We're hopscotching all over. Should I give a quick rundown of the plot yes, of this film? Yes, please. We open in a, I believe it's a college campus, in a lecture scene, which surprisingly, you know, there's not that many films that begin with lecture scenes, but there is one very famous example The Mirror Has Two Faces. Uh, one of the most ludicrous things you ever see <laughs> and, in cinema. And actually, both these two lectures that Barbara Streisand delivers on literature at Columbia, and which um, Sigourney Weaver delivers on the the history of serial killing, have similar functions in the plot, which is like the the screenwriter introducing you to every single theme that you need to know. There's also that scene in the movie has two faces where. Um, Robert Joyce is hanging from her
0: neck. You know, that, that no, that <laughs> never
1: happens. Brenda Vaccaro is not a serial killer, and the mirror has to face as Sean. That was your that was your fantasy <laughs> remix. Anyway, anyway door, okay, back to the okay. Back to the back to copycat. So. Sigourney is delivering this lecture she is an esteemed criminal psychologist she knows all about serial killers and at one point she has all the men in the lecture hall who are between 25 and 35 to stand up and the, she has her videographer zoom in across all these men's faces some of them cute some of them not cute what do you say ladies? There was yeah, some of them were victims of 90s fashion but there was one you didn't see him but
0: I saw him I still remember him There was this lovely ginger guy like short cropped red hair and a little kind of like beard scruff and he's wearing a big oversized jumper
1: what turns on a killer is the suffering and death of another human being and as his determination builds to take another life
0: he plans in obsessive detail what props he'll bring
1: what knots he'll tie let me ask you guys something what turns you on who does she see in the audience but Perhaps the creepiest man in history, Harry Connick Jr., who, if you didn't know he was a serial killer, all you would have to do is look at his cartoonish red hair, his insanely ugly teeth, and yes. his face covered in zits to know he is a weirdo. He is someone that she helped to convict, but somehow he's escaped. And or got into this lecture theater. Got into this lecture theater and, where and she is. is like, changing seats very, uh... Yes. He he easily evades her police guards, as Sean mentioned. He nabs her in the cubicle and has her strung up by a garret. Is that what that's called? A garrot. A a garrot. yeah. yeah. She's dangling there for a while. I mean, it's really, actually... It's actually quite intense. And it's it's right at the beginning of the movie. So this is the horrible incident that then makes Sigourney afraid to leave her apartment, as... I can completely understand, even though Harry Connick Jr. is back in jail and she knows he's in jail, she's pretty freaked out. So she's in the aforementioned beautiful apartment, talking to people on the internet, hanging out with her campy gay assistant. Okay. And then what happens? Well, what happens is a new string of serial murders start to happen throughout San Francisco. They're being investigated by Holly Hunter and Dreamy Dermott. Um, but they can't figure out a connection between them. As At one point, somebody is a Dermot who says, the only thing these women have in common is they all own vibrators. And then Holly says, it's a tool for survival. <laughs> anyway, I, to cut a long story short, basically, Sigourney provides... You no, know,
0: Jodie Foster would say, it's a tool for survival. And Holly Hunter would say, it's a tool for survival. So, what was that? A slight modulation in tone. You know, no, Jody Holly is a bit Jody more Foster is is much more kind of like whoosh, 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 whoosh.
1: and Holly and Hunter is more like perky, like this. Yeah, she's perky, but with a southern role. Can we say though that Holly Hunter is performing this role in the shadow of Jodie Foster? Yeah, I mean they're diff they're different types of characters, but she is essentially a poor no, I won't say poor man. She's like a mid budget Clarice Starling and a slightly friendlier Clarice Starling. Yeah, so basically. I don't need to go through the whole public. No, there's
0: a serial serial killer on the loose. Helen Hudson can't leave her apartment, but she knows, obviously, enough about this. So she gets in touch with the police. It turns out that the serial killer is a copycat killer who's going through a series of um, famous murders by infamous serial killers, and somehow they're all going to be linked to Dr. Helen Hudson at one
1: point. So, of course, Dermot and Holly show up at Sigourney's apartment... She's an asshole. Quote, yeah, she, quotes. She, yeah, she's not very friendly <laughs> to them. Even though she's called the police herself, but apparently she has this like push-pull relationship with them. Blah, 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 blah. The crime unfolds. We, maybe about halfway through the movie, we see who the serial killer is. Yeah, And it turns out that this guy who's on the loose now has written to Harry Connick Jr. in prison and, and sort of become Harry Connick Jr.'s disciple. And that He's going to reenact all these murders culminating in the unfinished murder of Sigourney Weaver. In the exact same method. He's going to construct it in such a way that she ends up in the exact same bathroom cubicle hanging yet again from a steel wire. And this time, the serial killer hopes to actually finish her off. But of course, thanks to Holly Hunter's bulletproof vest and Sigourney's clever um, psychological tactics, she gets... Out of the wire hanging device, they chase up onto the roof and a holly hunter kills the yeah. guy. Yeah. And that's the way it ends. Yeah. Who dies quite shockingly and sadly? Yeah, Dermot Mulroney. Dermot Mulrooney dies about three quarters of the way through. And how does he die, Sean? He dies in what part of he, San Francisco? He, there's an entirely different film going on at the same I know. time. It was. I, I think I saw that film. It was directed by Roman Polanski. What was it called? Chinatown. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah, that's
0: it. that's San Francisco as well. Isn't yeah, it? it is. There's this like crazy case that's going on in
1: Chinatown. Half the officers are on this serial killer case, and the other half are doing some kind of gangland investigation in Chinatown. And for some reason, Dermot Mulroney gets sent one day down to Chinatown, and gets shot and. Killed and oh, in the station. I, I don't know. That whole detour made no sense. To it's me. quite a depressing film because we also didn't point out that um, in rec in
0: recreating the Jeffrey Dahmer murder.
1: Oh, yeah. The serial
0: killer kills poor Andy, who is the
1: nurse to Sigourney. When he seems on a hot date yeah. and they're having some daiquiris, And he seems like nothing but a nice guy. I know. Although, to be fair, Sean... You don't think he's a very good nurse. Senior, Andy, or... the gay assistant slash nurse of Sigourney Weaver, seems completely oblivious to the fact that she's being stalked and there's a police escort. He's still keeping up his campiness through the whole movie. And he's like, Bye, hon. Off on a date with this hot little number. And they go off to a club. And then, I mean, he he never says like... Hope you don't mind that stalking, babe. Think you're gonna be fine with these two police guards outside. Bye. Hunky. Yeah, he <laughs> never says any of no, that. No, there's no that. No, but he does end up beheaded and floating it's in the sad. river. Like, it's sad. Like it's a very it's gruesome a, movie. It is quite gruesome, unnecessarily so. Well, Brian doesn't like violence. No. And um, actually, I
0: think I was a bit sketchy on details. I said in the first half that this was a film about sisterhood and like misogyny and stuff. And I do think it's a film about misogyny, but I I don't think it's a film about sisterhood either, because I think it fails the Bechdel test as well. Whenever Holly and Helen Hudson are having a talk together, they're only ever talking about serial killers who are yes. men, or they're talking about the little uh, Darren Mulroney character. They don't really talk about anything that isn't related to men and misogyny. What I really want to focus on is that I completely forgot that there was a coda to this film. Yeah. So, basically, the film ends it has two endings. One is that uh, our serial killer, who's... I can't even remember his name.
1: Irrelevant. He's kind of cute. He, yeah, he with is like kind of cute. With, like, big 90s glasses, but with flat affect. Yeah. Yeah. And it works. He's quite good at it. Yeah. Whoever he
0: is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, he gets shot at the end, and we see... By Holly. By Holly. And we see Helen Hudson, who's outside on the roof of this school. You know, says so she's had a, a horrible uh, agoraphobic uh, panic attack. She gets up and she walks calmly toward towards Holly. Toward Holly with none of the same panic. And you think, wow, yes, she's she's overcome her fear as well. And and I think, oh yeah, and that's how I remember the film ending. But no, the ending of the film is a horrible close-up of Daryl Lee Callum, i e i e Harry Connick Jr., writing this creepy letter to a guy who is a, a yet another disciple he's recruiting, that he's basically planning to finish off, once again, the murder of Helen Hudson. And so once upon a time I would have like looked at that as a kind of a very taut, quite exciting and gruesome in enjoyable ways uh, thriller. I now look at it as a really kind of unsavoury, quite bleak, grim, unpleasant Exploitative. film. Exploitative. Exploitative film.
1: Am I right with this? Um. You know, I think it's no accident that this film is named Copycat, because this movie is highly unoriginal. You think so? It is itself copying and aping several other kind of serial killer movies of the time. Most notably, I think, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, there is, there's even a, a bit of night vision as well. In this. There's night vision goggles, there's a kind of final showdown holly hunter with her texas twang diminutive the lone woman on the force yeah but at every step along the way it's a lesser version of silence of the lambs it lacks its sophistication the reason why you remember being a film about sisterhood is because your brain successfully turned this into a better screenplay than the people who actually wrote the screenplay you inserted sisterhood into the film where there feels like there ought to be a developing relationship between Sigourney and Holly. But there isn't. They don't seem to like each other or or bond with each other no. either. No, I can understand why Sigourney would take on this role because it allows her some histrionics and some campiness. So she gets to, like, have panic attacks, like, deliver bitchy lines. All Holly Hunter gets to do is kind of walk around and be empathetic and kind of fend off. No, no, like that's Jodie, bring it up. sorry, I can't walk around and be empathetic and, like, fend off. off the advances of of man without being uh, too aggressive about it. I'm Holly
0: Hunter. I'm a little spark plug. I often think Sigourney Weaver is a little bit flat sometimes. Yeah. I've always... I love her. You know I love her. But I've always thought that Sigourney Weaver was... A little too limited in her range. Yeah, that's why she never really became the prestige actress in non-genre pictures. This is a genre picture, absolutely, and she does. I think she does a good job. But Sugoni Weaver, she dangles
1: from that steel wire for a long time, twice, and she still delivers lines. The
0: police in this film. Tend to leave this woman dangling every time they see her hanging from the neck. <laughs> I can
1: also say, Sigourney Weaver is very tall. She is. So those must have been some high ceilings yeah. that she was dangling from. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Okay, but if you were Sigourney delivering yeah. your patented lecture in a lecture hall and you see a serial killer who you know no, is actually a serial killer, she thinks she's. Don't you tell the police, I think I saw the guy who. Threatened to kill me. Yeah, before you go into the ladies' yeah. room,
0: you know. Yeah, and she also at one point in the film, uh, the the, the, the our current killer comes out and takes the red suit she was wearing when all this happened and puts it on her yeah. bed but because she, she breaks takes, into her
1: house yeah but
0: because she takes so many painkillers and, and brandy I think she's, she thinks it's a yeah. kind of but she just, hallucination like, like I at, at this point if 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 I knew that I was being stalked by a copycat serial killer <laughs> even if I was doped out of my mind I you would let them know what I think send my, an email yeah and if she has email know she's doing a lot of emailing like I would just at least say listen guys I was whacked out of it <laughs> A little bit more than usual last night, but I think somebody was in my house, and I think they put... Well, let's acknowledge, I think they put the dress that I was wearing
1: when I was hanging from the neck 13 <laughs> months ago on the bed. This is a very inept police force, because it's like three times that the guy breaks into her house, even though she has, like, police outside guarding. Yeah.
0: Yeah, not good. I know, well, this is a, there's a few... um. Jobs going in the San Francisco Police Department. The, the same police department that Nick Curran worked for. Yes. Oh my god. Don't no. go
1: to San Francisco, guys. Oh. And you will not
0: be do you, safe. Do you think that Holly Hunter had to go and talk to Dr. Beth Garner after
1: uh Oh no, she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
0: <gasps> Why didn't they talk to Catherine and about this? Sean, Sean this is
1: not the Marvel universe. Okay? Oh my We're god. Not, You're engaging in... uh, Should we have Scotty from Vertigo in this (laughs) as well? But that is Samson's code. Yeah, it is. But does he die at the end? No.
0: No, no. He goes back to Midge,
1: doesn't he? I don't know. Or is that a different Hitchcock? Maybe he's like the grandfather of Helen Hudson. Okay, Enough. What is the deal with serial killer movies? Not only did there seem to be a lot more serial killer movies in the '90s, because as we said, um, Seven was the same year, and Silence of the Lambs kicked off the '90s. Did early you do any on. the ones? Taking Lives, it's not
0: an I feel film.
1: like there were about seven Ashley Judd ones. Yeah, weren't I,
0: I mean, do, do you count all the scream films as serial killer films? Yeah, but
1: they're more like slasher films. Yeah. but why were there so many of those films? Because well, I don't. Think there are that many serial killer films now. Is a serial killer like a twentieth century phenomenon that kind of has been replaced by ISIS. ISIS now? God, I don't know. I mean London Road is about a
0: serial killer and that's a true story. That's true. Yeah. I guess they play into certain fears that people have at any one time. I mean you can also say that the movies that we have at any given time are a reflection of the society or the politics. Yeah. So what, Bill Clinton's been in power for a few years? I mean, what was happening in... What was
1: happening well, in I guess there, mid-90s it, America? There is so much about gender dynamics in the serial killer dynamic because... It's usually women who are getting killed. And it's... And as Professor Helen Hudson seems to keep emphasizing, it's these isolated males. At one point they say these murders may or may not have been about sex, but they were certainly about power. Yeah. You know, I keep saying Silence of the Lambs is a very good film. I'm not particularly sure that I agree about that. I mean, I, it's certainly a, a, a classier made film. Do
0: you think that Silence of the Lambs at least addresses the horrible misogyny in a way that uh, doesn't make it seem exploitive, but, yeah, it but addresses, cruel and horrible? it
1: addresses the misogyny and replaces it with transphobia. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. yeah. So I haven't seen that film in ages. I might watch it tonight. Oh, God. So there has to be a scapegoat for everything, yeah. you know? Um, okay, copycat... I think it's an interesting genre film to dissect, much like one of the poor victims. It's in an interesting one as well to think about agents and why Holly Hunter's agent thought it was a good idea and also why Harry Connick Jr. decided to pick this he's not role. He's an actor, is he? No, he's an acclaimed jazz singer. And you're like, I know, let's get him apart as a creepy sort of... Um, weird, southern Bible-quoting guy. And wasn't he good? He was over-the-top creepy. Yeah, but he was good, though. Yeah, but it was interesting. Like, do you think he wanted to be, like, the next Christoph Waltz? Like, what... I mean, you mean the pre-Christoph (laughs) Waltz. The (laughs) pre-Christoph Waltz, but, like, the sort of... Superville. It's just such a weird role to take on if you've never acted in anything before. And really... You would have done it. He's barely... Yeah, but I'm not yeah, if reclaimed they you reclaimed Sinatra-esque jazz singer. Yeah, but if they asked you to be in that film, you would have done it. You know, I know you would have. I wouldn't have played that role. You would have. I would have been Andy, the gay assistant. And I would have been better in a muumuu. He, <laughs> he was wearing, like, a it Hawaiian this, shirt. It was
0: the summer of love. It was some, some kind yeah, of
1: um, hippie. hippie shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: Um, no, Sean, I'm, if, I'm going to recommend that people watch this.
1: I am not. Okay, that's fine. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we, we disagree. We are keeping in the mode of murder and keeping in the mode of thrillers with our next uh, film, which is one that I have seen, though Sean hasn't. And I'm hoping that this one is going to live up to my memory. It is Kathy Bates in her acclaimed role as Dolores Claiborne. I have a memory that this is one of Kathy Bates' greatest performances. Yeah, we're going to piece this together. So if you haven't seen Dolores Claiborne, be sure to watch it. And also, we want to give a heads up to our London listeners about a live event that Sean is involved in that's coming up on January 27th. I am part
0: of the Veto Project, which is a intergenerational LGBT cinema event that takes place on the last Wednesday of every month at the Cinema Museum in South London. And the next film is Rainer Werner Fassbinder's Fox and His
1: Friends. And you can find more details on Facebook if you type in Vito Project. Fox and His Friends, which if you haven't seen it, is a great movie uh the german gay scene in the 1970s i think there's probably not a single woman in the film so it'd never be covered on broad appeal february you guys are going to do pariah which is a great movie about young black lesbian in brooklyn so um all kinds of films all kinds of issues raised and there's speakers and discussions afterwards in fact for fox and his friends i'm going to be the moderator of the discussion so if you guys want to see me in person come down how can they find the veto project on facebook sean
0: um, go onto Facebook and type in Vito Project into the search bar. Oh, is that how that works? Yeah. Okay, great.
1: <laughs> so, in the meantime, we will um, be joining you again in two weeks for Dolores Claiborne. You can always find us on iTunes or Stitcher, and please uh, rate us and leave us a review while you're there. Also, you can find us on Twitter,
0: at Broad Appeal Pod. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> be careful of the
1: people in the next cubicle. Bye. Once that you've
0: decided on a killing, first you make a stone of your heart. And if you find that your hands are still willing, then you can turn a murder into art.